Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. Today, our topic is on and offline campus living. How have solutions to the pandemic transformed campus living as we know it? We are really excited to have as our guest, Ari Rosenblum. Ari is the CEO of V Management, one of the largest privately owned student housing companies in the country, headquartered here in Miami, Florida. Welcome, Ari. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How you doing? So love, love your company. Um, great to have you on the show today. So tell us a little bit about how you originally got into the space and, and why you love student living. Oh, man. Um, I have been in the student housing business for uh, 20 years, Alex. I actually uh, graduated from college in 2001 and uh, didn't want to go get a real job and, you know, looked around and tried to figure out what kind of opportunities um, were out there uh, that were entrepreneurial. And I figured like the only thing I knew anything about uh, was student housing because I just lived in it. Uh, for four years. So I was able to raise a few bucks um, from friends and family and go out and do my first real estate deal uh, almost a year later, which was like a small deal next to UMass Amherst. It was a converted motel um, and really started from there and, and built the business over that period of time. Um, met my co-founder uh, for V in 2010. And he really brought kind of a value add perspective uh, that he had taken from multifamily um, and we combined his value add perspective, my student housing perspective, and we came up with the brand uh, that is V. Nice. So you're also, how many communities, how many, uh, how national are you? So we have about uh, 350 million of uh, AUM. We're in 11 states. We have over 5,000 beds. Um, we're pretty much uh, up and down the East Coast and over to Texas. We don't really go west of Texas just because of travel time. So we're pretty well uh spread out over this country yeah that's a lot of campuses and a lot of students uh not only are you are you um uh, in these communities but uh, serving housing needs but you're also in these communities helping people right yeah no that's right um everywhere that we are uh we try to do kind of charitable work the most recent thing we did um, was in north carolina in particular in raleigh um, where we gave over 100 beds away to traveling nurses during the pandemic. These nurses were going from city to city um, kind of on an emergency basis when the hospitals were getting uh, overstaffed. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to have them worry about where they were putting uh, their head at night. So we gave uh, our beds away in our communities um, to try to make life easier for them. So wherever we are, whether it's South Florida, where we're doing hurricane relief uh, when we have issues here, um, whether it's the traveling nurses, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club, um, we try to actually interact with the communities uh, as much as we can. Ari, when you say traveling nurses, is that some kind of a group? Like they come up to the hospital, put on a show or marionettes or something? Hey, tonight, <laughs> Mick Jagger and the traveling nurses are playing at the Civic Center or something like that? that, that, that Jamie, not we're, not we're, quite, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're saving lives here. Uh, <laughs> so, so, all right. So you've been in the space for quite some time. Obviously, you know, we're this is 2020, so the world is unlike any world we've seen before and due to the pandemic. And back when the pandemic started in March, uh, we were 
just taking, and I say we as, as the world essentially was, we're taking students out of school, right? Because of the situation that was happening on campus, the, the, the virus and all of that. And then we're always wondering at that time, you know, how, as we're taking kids out, how are we gonna get them back um, uh, when school starts uh, in the fall? Uh, and then with virtual learning and virtual meetings on the rise, it was, it was, a, it was questionable as to whether or not uh, campus living in general would still be relevant uh, moving forward in the future. So what were you thinking both personally and as a business early in the year about what, where this business was going and, and what's changed in your mind now that we're slowly getting back to this new type of normal? Great. Uh, yeah, great question. So we, you know, came at it from um, a pretty unique angle, I would say. Uh, my partner, Derek Malam, and I started talking about uh, this pandemic in January, uh, prior to anybody in the U.S. really perking their ears up too much. Um, and the primary reason that we were talking and thinking about it at that point is because we have a, a very high percentage of um, Chinese students in some of our communities across the country. And so we kind of pay attention to trends, um, you know, internationally. Um, international enrollment, by the way, is about almost 20 percent of, of undergraduate enrollment in the United States of America these days. So it's a very major factor in our business. So anyway, in January, my partner Derek and I were having dinner um, in Washington, D.C., next to a community that we own in Hyattsville, next to University of Maryland and Howard. And we were talking about this pandemic. And we, I think I was on Twitter kind of scrolling. And I'm like, man, this is like, it's getting pretty serious. Um, and at that dinner, we started planning for what we would do um, if this thing came over to the United States, which we both thought that it would. Um, and the reason we thought it would, like I said, is because we have all of these students from Asia and China coming over and we understand like their travel schedules and the restrictions that were not in place. So we knew that if people had it over there, they were coming over here and, you know, it was going to spread. So um, the first thing we did was started planning for what, you know, a quarantine situation would look like. We obviously had no idea. Um, we were kind of going off our experience of watching movies uh, like, you know, contagion. And we thought people might be locked in these communities for, you know, a month potentially at a time. And how would we kind of um, deal with that as, as owners of the community? So what we did um, super early on was we stocked up on cleaning supplies, first of all, hand sanitizer, masks, and we also stocked up on food. Um, and this is in January uh, for our staff who would be living on site and, you know, administering um, students who were in, in our minds kind of trapped, um, in these, in these communities. And so as so, Derek so no, and I were, so no toilet ahead. paper, right? no, we <laughs> didn't think about toilet paper, by okay. the way. No, we, and I still don't understand what that was all about. I mean, you know, it just, that, that one escapes me, but anyway, um, cause you could always like take a shower or, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so thank God, for, thank God for the bidet. Yeah, that reminds exactly. me of a, of a hazing experience way back in the day, but that's right, guys. <laughs> oh boy, that, that sounds ugly. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, so you know, we we started kind of buying these supplies for our communities. Um, the people who worked for us, uh, you know, thought we were legitimately insane, and we had to try to explain that there was this thing, and it was we thought it might come over, and they were just like, "What? You know, what what company do we work for? And what? And you know, what are you guys talking about?" But we we put this stuff aside. Um, and then sooner rather than later, this thing came to pass. I think we were 
probably a lot less surprised uh, than uh, our peer operators in the space. We were a lot more prepared. Uh, but having said that, there's only so much that you could prepare, right? Um, yeah. I got the notice, I think March, I want to say it was right after my birthday. So maybe 19th or 20th that um, University of Buffalo was sending kids home. That was the first uh, university that we had um, where it was sending kids home. And obviously it just, you know, spiraled from there. And within three days, um, every college uh, that we service was sending uh, their kids back home. And so there was like a, a number of different reactions. First of all, um, from a business perspective, of course, we were like, what's going to happen? I mean, everyone's leaving. Um, is anyone going to pay rent or, or are we going to go bankrupt? I mean, is everyone going to just leave and, and we're going to have these empty assets? Um, so, of course, that reaction was there for sure. Um, there was also that kind of health concern for us. Does anyone in our, any of our communities have it? Ultimately, we did have somebody uh, in one of our communities who, who got it early on. And remember, this was before we really understood how it affected the young versus the old. And we didn't know anything. Um, so that was an entire, uh, you know, issue that we had to deal with. There were no protocols in place. No one really understood kind of, uh, how to, um, test where you could go to get a test, whether somebody should isolate or not. So all these things we were dealing with on the fly, like everyone else. Um, but we also own these communities where there's thousands and thousands of, of, you know, people between the ages of 18 and 22, um, living. And we feel like we're there, you know, to some extent their caretaker, so we were trying to navigate the situation as, as well as we possibly could um, in real time. Um, what we found, um, you know, within 30 days was that the, you know, the world actually had not ended. The sky had not completely fallen the way that we had, uh, had thought it might. And what we really found and what was super interesting was I remember a call kind of mid-April um, with all of our communities. And we were talking about how many people were, were still there. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at the, the data kind of you know, a couple times a week, as is Derek, and kind of around mid-April, we get together and we're like, we still have like almost 80% of the students are living in our communities right now. Like no one went home. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people stayed and we were trying to figure out why that was and, and did some kind of surveys to, um, to our residents and, and found that, first of all, you know, a lot of people... Um, felt that if they, you know, they're super responsible. They felt like if they went home and they had an older parent or grandparent in the house, that they um, might expose them and put them in danger. So they wanted to stay. Second of all, um, a lot of people did go home for a time, but, you know, as, as we later found, um, you know, a, a 20 year old or a 19 year old can only go home and kind of stay in the bedroom for so long. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, those parents were like, well, you know, we have the lease still. Um, I know you're not going into school, but you're doing these Zoom classes. Why don't you go back and just live in the community um, and do the Zoom class from your room? You know, in plus, the interim. Plus, plus otherwise we're going to kill. Plus otherwise we're going to kill you. <laughs> right. That's right. Or end ourselves or, or both. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and in the interim, we started to put all of these protocols in place, um, which we had started in January and we kind of finalized and perfected in, in April, which revolved around everyone in any of our communities um, wearing a mask in any common area. Obviously, all of our employees um, wearing masks. We had an entire protocol um, that we put in place for uh, what would happen if there was a positive case. Um, we did the plexiglass barriers. We did uh, the, the, um, the very frequent cleaning um, of common area spaces. We shut down our gyms, our pool areas. Um, our study lounges, all of our kind of common area amenities were shut down. So 
we went through and kind of did this thing. And this was our company doing this. And a lot of other companies were not doing similar, um, similar things. And, and our feeling was, um, and still is that, you know, we were going to be attractive to people in the long term um, if they felt safe at one of our communities. And if, you know, and there were many other peer competitive communities where people were not wearing masks, employees were not required to wear masks. Um, no one really was wearing a mask in the common areas. And, you know, we looked at them and we were like, well, they're saving a lot of money. Uh, that's for sure. But, you know, we would rather kind of try to be the A standard. And if we're going a little bit too far as it relates to being careful, we'd rather do that um, than be perceived as somewhere that, that's dangerous, which is, uh, you know, the most important thing to us. Right. So you took the high ground, basically, and that, which is, I think which is great. Did, what, what was your interface with, um, you know, with the universities? Like how, how did, uh, you know, the, 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 the residential or student living departments at universities uh, respond to your, your sort of do good um, attitude as a company. Um, what, what were they saying during this period and how, and how were you, what, what were their reactions to, to the strategies that you were taking? Um, so I will put this in a politic way. Um, <laughs> they, uh, their, their kind of outlook was and continues to, um, but, but certainly at that time was changing every 24, 48 hours. Um, they had a different plan. Uh, they had a, they had different guidelines. They had different thoughts um, in terms of what they were going to do with the student body. Um, so for instance, <clears throat> in terms of interaction with us, cause we don't interact, you know, every day with the college or university, usually we're just a private off-campus housing provider. And, you know, the, the universities are separate and apart from us. And we will of course interact with them in order to try to attract um, their students to live in our communities, but it's not a, you know, a once a, once a day thing. Um, but as an example, uh, there were a, a few communities where the school came to us at some point and said, okay, we're closing all the dorms. We want to put, um, you know, a hundred kids in your units. Um, do you, do you have beds for us? And we, we kind of would look around and say, okay, well, we had a bunch of kids leave. We don't know if we have a hundred beds, but maybe we have 50 and we would go back and forth. And then 48 hours later, they would say, actually, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep the dorms open. And then 48 hours later, they'd say, actually, we're just going to send all the kids home. Um, and that, that really was, it was a hair on fire situation with a lot of these, um, schools and administrations and look, you know, listen, we were all dealing with this for the first time. This is a black swan event and a once in a lifetime, um, plague pandemic basically. So I will just say that, uh, it was a, it was a challenge for everybody, um, including the universities and protocols were just shifting and changing literally by the hour. You know, I find it's very interesting, right? Because, um, in, in your business, uh, you you have a couple of different customers, right? You have, you know, you obviously in one case you're serving the interests of the university, and also you're serving the interests of the students. Uh, and you know, students have their own thing that they do, uh, and their own fears and or trepidations associated with you know getting sick or not. Um, but then you also have parents, right? And so the, you know, the parents who have to send their kids, drop their kids off um, to to a box uh, basically, and hope for the best. Do, do, do you ever find yourself talking to parents and, uh, or do you feel like that's like, you know, that's the university's job to, 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 to deal with? No, no, we were, we're very involved uh, with the parents and we actually cater to parents, I would say. I mean, we cater to the students as well. We cater obviously to, um, to our residents, but it, it, a big part of what we do is making sure that we are set up 
for success with the parents um, of the students. And so that goes, you know, from the, from the top down, um, from Derek and myself interacting with individual parents, which, you know, despite all these years and all these units and all these beds, we still do um, all the time to, you know, making sure that um, the property manager, the community, the GM, the leasing manager, the marketing manager, the maintenance guy, that all of these individuals um, can interact and have a successful and positive interaction um, with parents. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you cannot attract the parent, you're going to be very unlikely um, to attract the student. The parent, you know, is, is guaranteeing the rent uh, in every instance of, of every community, which we own. The parent is a guarantor on that lease. So the parent is a financial counterparty um, to us as the owner of the community. So you, you, you know, you are interacting with somebody who is an extremely important part um, of not only the students, you know, lives, um, but also their kind of economic interaction um, with you. So well, let me ask you this, yes. sorry. Yeah. Let me ask you this, sorry. Uh, given what was going on and the dichotomy of opinion on how best to protect the kids or some parents wanting them to be home and not home, was there a lot of friction? Were there a lot of different um, outlooks from the different parents that you had to juggle? It's, it's a very interesting question because because of the way this came on, which was because we've had a million different instances where we're interacting with parents for a million different reasons, right? Because of the way this came on, um, we were actually, and I, and you know, I could go back to my team, but I think we were not interacting with the parents even as much as usual in any sort of emergency type of situation. And I think that's because this became pretty quickly an individual um pandemic, a, a kind of individual choice pandemic where families were making different choices for themselves, depending on, you know, who they were listening to, what they believed, what they thought about the science, what they thought uh, about what their kid needed to do. Um, and so that's why I said you had schools send kids home, but we had 80% of the kids continue to live in our communities. That means 20% went home. So you had 20% of the parents who said, I don't care get on a, get on a bus, get on a, get in a car and get back here immediately. And then you had the majority of the parents who said, you know what, stay where you are. Um, it's safer there. So you really saw a, a wide range of outcomes on the parental side. And, and it didn't really have to do with us. We, we were here, we were a safe place to the extent that, um, that you needed one and, you know, everything else was, was up to them. So there was not a lot of actual interaction um, during this event. Well, let me ask you the important question for the parents that wanted the kids to come home. Were they still paying the rent? That's an amazing question. Um, and, and the answer is super interesting. So and you can give out and you can give out names if you want to call up. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll call individuals out. No, the expectation for us was that there was a community in which, you know, we had invested a lot of money in terms of making it safe and, um, and, and a great place to live. You signed a contract to live in that community. Um, and we were open for business. So at first, there was a very small amount of friction. Um, and I, I will tell you, you know, from a business perspective, we looked at our rent rolls and we thought we're going to be, you know, we're, we're going to be missing 40 or 50% of our collections. And by the time, uh, you know, by, by the time this thing kind of came to a, a close, just in terms of the rent roll, which is in August, we looked back. Um, and we had about a 3% collection loss. So 97% of our residents uh, paid their rent on time. 
uh, every month. And that is true across the industry. Um, so there's, there's a very brief moment where it was like, ah, no one's going to pay their rent. Um, and I know there was a, a you know, a, a stop the rent movement kind of nationally that went on. And we were looking at that obviously very closely. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like I said, the majority of people actually stayed in the community. So they were certainly paying rent and the people who didn't, um, and left, I think it was always in the back of their mind that, you know, what, I'm going to be back there next year and I probably want to live there next year. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep paying. You think it's possible that some of the parents were saying, okay, come home. And once they got them home after being empty nesters, they were thinking, I'm keeping that apartment open. First chance I get these kids on a bus. Highly possible. <laughs> yeah, it, and I'm sure that this is like one of those things where you got, you got a mixture of kids who are, who live close to campus, live in the state, in the, in the United States. Uh, and then the, then the ones that are living abroad, they had sort of their own, their own challenges. You know, one of the things that you, you mentioned earlier about economic impact, you know, when I think about, university towns associated with living right? i see these you know i i, I lived in michigan um so university of michigan's huge um, um when it comes to the economic um uh, environment in which students purchase buy goods go to restaurants go to clubs or bars or what have you and and the communities really depend on these kids on campus in order to survive right and you know versus some of the smaller campuses that are in the middle of nowhere i went to school in boston outside of boston so i did you see anything any impact or were you affected or how, how did you as a company or personally sort of look at the economic implications of the communities in which your buildings reside in and what could potentially happen with that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I'll say it has been a tale of regions, right? Mm -hmm. So as I said, we're kind of all over the place. We're, uh, you know, we're in upstate New York in Buffalo. Uh, we're down here in Florida in uh, Boca Raton. We're in San Marcos, Texas. We're, you know, up in Michigan. We're in State College, Pennsylvania. We're all over the place, right? So it have, has really kind of borne out by region. Um, the regions that have you know, been stricter as far as quarantines, containment measures, lockdowns, whatever, um, you know, just by its very nature, their localities have suffered much, much more. Um, the places that have been more open, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, where we are next to University of Alabama, which has effectively been open this entire time, um, the local businesses have not suffered anywhere near as much. They've, of course, still had an impact, right? And then there have been these start and stop issues where you have Tuscaloosa that um, came online in August and basically said, hey, everything's open um, for students. And, you know, every bar was completely packed with people with no masks on at all. Um, and then you had this obviously predictable and very large outbreak in the community um, and then they shut the bars down for a period of time and then open them again and then shut them down, which is, of course, super disruptive um, for local businesses. So, you know, ha has it been a banner year for a local business in a college town? Oh, my God. I mean, you're talking about college football games where even if there is attendance, it's massively reduced. People are not coming in from all over the country. So it has been a challenge um, for those businesses. Um, but, you know, it is by region in, in the in the areas where the lockdowns have been more severe. Those businesses have been, um, you know, incredibly impacted, impacted if they're still if, if they've been able to survive. Um, and in the areas which which have been less so, you know, certainly impacted. But um, they're, they're, you know, still still fighting. And flat, fast forward now to the current environment, the current uh, fall semester. Or would you say you're back to close to normal in terms of capacity? No, 
Um, but what I will say is that um, in our portfolio and across the industry, the resilience has been absolutely incredible, um, especially when you compare it to kind of some of the narrative that's been out there in the, in the press uh, and also I think people's expectations of what would happen. So we heard um, as an industry and kind of everyone heard on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, New York Times every day for you know three months that student housing was dead, college was over, everyone was gonna Zoom from home for the rest of their lives and nobody ever needed to go to school again. Um, the reality that has been borne out, we just, uh, we actually are still having our industry conference right now. Um, and we went through with uh, CBRE, uh, CBRE's economists kind of what our net stats as an industry are. And we are kind of net occupied at about 87% across the industry. Um, that's a little bit uh, lower than, than we are as a portfolio. We're closer to 88% um, as a portfolio. Uh, the mm -hmm. industry has seen rents fall, um, but you know, basically you're talking about half a basis point of rent reduction um, to anywhere to 100 basis points of an increase. So very minor um, uh, from a rent impact perspective. Um, and so, you know, there has been an impact, right? Because student housing and in the various markets uh, across the country, usually you're getting rent increases. And those rent increases are anywhere from three to five percent a year, depending on market and depending on asset. So if you're underwriting a five percent rent increase and ninety-eight percent occupancy, which a lot of operators um, typically do, now all of a sudden you're at eighty-six percent occupancy and you've had a one percent uh, rent decrease. I mean, that's a that's a big impact. And and so we have definitely felt an impact as an industry, um, but I think nowhere near what everybody's kind of fears were when this thing started. Yeah, well, that's much, right. that's that's good news. Now, Ari, you're you're you have a different business than than typical um, uh, student housing, right? Your 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 properties have swimming pools, pool tables, you know, amenities. Uh, you know, when I was in uh, when I was in school, we had nothing. Yeah, we had a we had a we had a, a room, a bed, and and hope for the best, basically. Um, so you're communities are a pleasure to live in right and i'm thinking that you know as a student coming into your property you know it's awesome it's like kind of like a, a, um, a party basically so um you know so you've got this mixture you've got some some students that um have the benefit of, of living in your communities uh some students that don't going to the same university uh you have as you mentioned um, twenty percent have uh, you know just sort of opted out um, of that that experience just because of um, the, the fear of the pandemic, and some and eighty percent haven't. But you have this this desire to go to school, right? Everybody, you know, it's a rite of passage and all that good stuff. So we kind of not only do we have to go to school to a certain extent, right, learn and educate ourselves, but we also um, want to be among our friends and 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 peers and all that good stuff. So where do you see things going, right? So I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, I you know if I want to go to school, um, you know, I'm, I'm spending, you know, two or three hours a day in my room studying anyway. So studying? Why <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, why, why can't I just open the laptop and just zoom into the into the class, which of which I'd be probably sleeping in anyway, um, you know, from my <laughs> dorm room. So, so you know, I feel like you know the, the role of 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 student living and student housing, it, in some ways, sort of is a hybrid 
um, both living and learning environments in some ways, you know, when it comes to being able to access your course and, and learning material online, but perhaps on campus at the same time. Is, is it, do, do you see things like that going, you know, um, are we seeing that happening uh, or are we going to see that more of that happening in the future? Like, where is this going? Um, you, you ask uh, an interesting and multi-layered question. So I, I think like one of the first things to think about is what are schools, right? What are colleges at this point? And there, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of things. Um, one of the things they definitely are uh, is they are places for people who are young between the ages of 18 and 22 to come together to learn how to learn um, and to network. So, you know, I was a religion and film major uh, at, at school. I don't know what you studied, Alex or Jamie, but, you know, very often, obviously, we find ourselves in professions that are so separate and apart from anything we studied at, at college that you start to think about, well, what did I actually learn there? What was the point of that? Um, and at the end of the day, you know, the point of it was to really, um, on the one hand, you know, learn some stuff, sure, but also learn how to become an adult, learn how to network. Um, and kind of learn what you want to learn and learn how to learn. Um, there's another aspect to college and university, especially um, that is, you know, post me graduating and you graduating, Alex and, and Jamie, which is um, the cost of these universities has obviously skyrocketed over the last two decades, actually, since, you know, since the time I've been in the business. Um, and so what's happened separate and apart from COVID and having nothing to do with the pandemic, this was already happening people, um, young people were starting to take a look at the ROI um, of their investment, which is really what it is, right? Um, and you have a large number of people who are looking at the bill and saying, okay, I'm paying $150,000 to go to, let's say, a level or tier three school or something like that. I'm graduating from that school. I'm getting out of school and, and it gets me a job that pays $42,500 a year when I get out. That math doesn't make sense. Why am, I, why am I transacting in this way? This is not a rational economic move for me. That was starting um, well before COVID, right? And so the universities who were really getting the side eye were these secondary and tertiary colleges where the network benefits uh, really weren't there. And what I mean by network benefits is, is really as follows, right? We have community next to University of Alabama. We have a community next to Penn State. Right. Just take those two as examples. Um, those are big state colleges. Um, they have big football teams. Um, you know, they are not uh, Ivy League institutions. Right. But what they are is um, they are humongous networks and a lot of very high end professionals in a million different fields um, went to those universities and colleges. And when you graduate from one of those universities and you go out into the workplace, you are highly likely to be able to find somebody who went to the same university as you did in the profession of your choice. And that helps you a lot. It helps you get a job. It helps you move ahead at that job. Um, and it confers a lot of benefits that are way outside of, hey, I took uh, Economics 101, right? It has nothing to do with the classwork, but the network effect of that school is huge, okay? Now say you went to, I'm making up middle Ohio State University South, right? And there it's a 5,000 person university, but those universities, which you guys have never 
that one doesn't actually exist because I didn't want to call anyone out, but those universities, which you guys have never heard of, but I have, and I've owned communities at these universities, right? They still cost 40 grand a year or 50 grand a year in some cases, right? You're still taking out this huge loan to go to this you know, college that most people have not heard of. And more importantly, it's not that people haven't heard of it. It's that you don't have a network to lean on when you get out of that college or university. You don't, there is no network benefit that's conferred. So you're really just getting kind of the schoolwork, you're getting a huge bill, and then you're going out to the workplace and you don't have the same advantages um, as if you went to a, a you know, well-networked primary uh, university. So what I see really this pandemic doing across our industry is really accelerating that trend and we've already seen it. So these smaller colleges and universities, first of all, from a financial perspective, they're already always on the edge. They're already right on the envelope, right? They're already kind of struggling. Now you had COVID, now you have enrollment at those universities. You know, you look at University of Alabama or University of Buffalo, enrollment's up even this year, you know, 1%. It's not up huge, but it's up a little bit, right? You got a freshman class that's down about 16% across every university in the country. But at these big ones, on a net basis, they're still up 1%. Well, the secondary and tertiary colleges are down like 20%, right? Enrollment is just off a cliff. And so now you have these colleges that already were struggling financially, that now have enrollment that's way down and that still got to try to charge, you know, 40 grand for a kid to go there. And the kid's looking at it. And now, Alex, your question comes into play where if I'm that kid, I'm like, wait a minute, I can pay 40 grand to go to this college that has no network benefit to me that nobody really heard of, or I can stay home and Zoom. And I can do that for like 12 grand, right? Then the choice becomes, okay, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to stay home and just do this from here. I'm going to save myself a lot of money. I'm going to go out to the workplace and not have a huge bill. And I think that is really the consequence of this pandemic um, on colleges and universities. Yeah, that's that's funny. If I'm listening to this uh, this podcast as a dean, I'm like, holy cow. And if I'm a parent, I'm thinking to myself, really? I could do this? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think there's, there's a lot of decisions you can be making after, uh, after hearing that. And I think that's really insightful because it, it illustrates that, um, you know, that some, you know, the, the big, the bigger universities, um, perhaps, you know, according to your, your network effect um, model that the bigger universities will just succeed just on the, the strength is like a, like a, like a, like a, basically like a, um, a snowball effect because they're so big, they'll just will survive. And the smaller ones may not, they may, um, die off or they may close campuses or they may just go online altogether. Um, and, and that's, and that's our future. And, and, you know, that's a, I mean, I think in the workplace, if you haven't, and, you know, we're at, at our age, if you haven't gone to Stanford, Harvard, UM, in some cases, um, no one cares. Like, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't tell people where you went to school. No one really cares yep. where you went to school. So it doesn't really matter as long as you can, um, you can read and write, basically. Um, sure. so, so, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But I think, I think you know, from a standpoint of, of where you live, um, it's also quite interesting. You, know, you talked about uh, staying in campus. You know, for me personally, I, I, I don't think I ever would have left campus I had such a great time so I think yeah I think there's a there's there's we, we all we all want a great place to live we all want to have fun where we live we all want to learn something potentially particularly when it comes to being on campus but even when you're you know even today I want to I want to learn from my neighbors and, and, and all that good stuff but it, it's a kind of a perfect ecosystem uh, as a young adult 
um, living on and or off campus and, and uh, the experiences and networks on a kind of basis. So I, 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 also, yeah, I also think that this validates what I've been saying for the 35 years I've been out of school, that I was not partying. I was not drinking. I was not doing anything illicit. I was networking and that's what got that's me right. to where I am today. And you did not inhale. That's it. <laughs> um, so that's that's fascinating. I you know I think I think you you've shared a, an enormous amount of insight for us. And I think um, one of the biggest takeaways for me, I don't know about you, Jamie, but um, is to say that the future um, of learning uh, really is defined in a lot of ways by the people that you're learning with. Um, either in the, whether or not that is a that's current, that's present, or past, you know, people that your alumni and all that, and so the network effect and network benefit of living it on campus and or near campus is huge. Uh, in addition to just the fact that you can put that name of that university on your on your CV, but I, I think it sounds like what we're saying is that even though things are, will be changing, um, the world will be changing, uh, and perhaps on campus living might look a little bit different than it than um, that it does today it's still going to be important um for um you know in the future important for the growth of the human being i think like uh, ari you made a good point you get there at 18 and you're being taught how to learn how to stand on your own even how to do your own laundry um for lack of a better example and i think and i think i think the point is well taken that you end up doing or participating in things that the people around you and the friends around you do. If all your friends are musicians, there's a good chance you'll pick up an instrument. If all your friends are into sports, there's a good chance you'll play sports. And I think it's the same thing with universities. You find your crew. We all found our crew in school. And that crew has been supportive of, of everything in your life for the rest of your life. And I think you can't under, undersell the cultural significance that, that the learning experience of being away from home in school brings. Now, speaking of that, Ari, we're waiting for a good story. You got anything oh for God. us? I knew you were going to get to this. I, I thought you might forget the stories, Jamie, but you didn't. You didn't. I got some good ones. Um, Jesus. Okay. So so let's, uh, let's just go with a P, it's a PG-13, okay? It's not a PG, but it's not an R. So uh, this is many, many moons ago, you know, in a land far, far away. So there, and there will be no names mentioned, but um, you know, we have institutions investing uh, alongside us in all of these real estate projects, right? So institutional private equity, high net, uh, high net worth individuals, sometimes sovereign wealth funds, um, but you know, very kind of buttoned down, um, you know, straight arrow investors who um, when you buy a community, um, especially with what we do, which is buying and then generally, you know, massively renovating um, the entire community so that it looks beautiful and brand new. They want to come take a look um, and tour the tour the site. So we had that happen, and it happens all the time. We had it happen, you know, years ago. At this point, probably eight years ago. Um, and it's a it's a very kind of cut and dried thing, and we do it all the time. Derek, my partner, Derek, myself, we have our routine. The staff, the community has their routine. They know exactly what to do, right? We have investors coming today um, and we got to tour the, tour the property. So generally what they want to see is common area, you know, a study lounge, pool, and, a, and see a few units um, and then drive around the town and look at the competitors and the peers in the marketplace so they understand how we compare to, to you know, to, to the competitors. So 
we uh, we do that at this community and we get there and it's like, you know, 8 a.m. And usually you probably have a coffee before the investors show up. They get there at like 830. And I'm talking to the property manager, the GM that day. And she's like, hey, there's um, there's like this issue with one of the units we were going to see. But, you know, don't don't worry, I'm going to switch it around and we're, we're just going to look at a different unit. And I was like, all right. And I think I, you know, I really wasn't paying too much attention because I'm just you, you just get guided around on these tours. But I, I remember asking, um, well, what kind of issue? And she was like, I, I, we can't get into it right now. And the investors were walking in the door just as she said that. OK, so we, <laughs> you know, we do our tour. We go and look at the. Um, beautiful clubhouse. We're looking at the pool and then we start the tour of the units and the first unit we walk in. And of course, you know, there's students living in these units, but they've been notified that someone's coming to um, take a look. So you knock on, you walk in the unit. First unit looks beautiful. Three bedroom, three bathroom looks brand new. Investors are very impressed. We go to the second unit. And as she's opening the door to the second unit, I can tell on her face that she's realizing, but she's like, she's like on automatic pilot, but she's realizing I didn't switch the units, right? She actually was on autopilot. So she just went to the original unit where she said there was an issue, but she didn't realize it until the door was already open and the investors and, and us were walking in. We walk in this unit and the unit has been semi-converted into basically a gentleman's club. <laughs> so we have a literal strip pole we have purple lighting. There are couches surrounding a little mini stage. And I'm like, like, how did someone even do this without us realizing it? And so she's trying to shuffle them out, shuffle them out. And then as we're getting shuffled out, who appears but the resident who lives there, who is a you know, very nice looking young lady, um, you know, dressed as you might expect and kind of, oh, hey, how are you guys? And it's like, this is not what we need. Right Come on now, in. Uh, in our lives. Yeah, exa exactly. Uh, and then we had a, you know, we had a nice oh, hour long conversation about how that could have possibly happened and how we could have not known that there was work going on in the unit because it, I mean, this is real stuff. Like you, you can't just throw a stripper pole in a, a unit. Like you have to, you know, bring materials in. How could we not know that? And what was wrong with us? Um, but we ended up having a laugh about it. And that community actually was quite successful. We sold it a couple of years later. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an embarrassing one. And sure. just out of curiosity, the address of that and the apartment yeah, yeah, number. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a very good story. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So was that okay. even a student live, work, going to school? Or was that just somebody living in your unit? Jamie, it was somebody going to school that, you know, you know, the expression pays their way through school, right? So that's what was <laughs> happening, buddy. Yeah. That's very good. Very good. Um, so, so, all right. So we, we're, we're going to get, um, as we, as we close our show off a little bit, we're going to um, want to ask you thumbs up, thumbs down, sort of our lightning round of, do you lean in to more student housing? I mean, is this a business that is growing? Is this a business that is declining? And so you're going to be relatively, um, uh, um, bearish on, on the, on the, on the future of the industry or, or it's kind of like business as usual and keep on, keep on trucking. Well, it's definitely not business as usual. I think kind of going off of the last, um, thing we were talking about as it relates to universities, I think it's a winners and losers market. So what's happened 
is secondary and tertiary universities. There is no liquidity in those markets right now. So if you want to sell your deal next to I never heard of you university, you can't sell right now. There are, there are no buyers. And I think on a go forward basis, it's going to be really tough to, to find liquidity in those marketplaces because everyone's going to have those questions around, well, what's happening with this college? I mean, enrollment's down and, you know, it looks like it's going to continue to go down. So how can we credibly, you know, tell our investors that we're going to get good returns in, in, in this market? Um, so it is going to be a winners and losers market. I think the winners are going to win big, right? So I think the, the and it's, look, this goes from everything. It's not just student housing. It's, it's Amazon, right? It's the same thing. It's like the winners who are there, who are these, you know, massive um, companies or colleges are going to continue to get bigger. Those markets are going to continue to grow. And I think right now um, in those markets, there's a really good opportunity um, in student housing. The, the risk reward had gotten out of whack a little bit, I will say, over the last really three or four years where the premium that you were paying um, for multifamily versus student housing had, had gotten down to almost nothing. And basically, student housing is a, you know, it's almost like a hospitality business. It's very operationally intensive. There's a lot of work and a lot of cost that goes into operating a student housing property. And when you went to buy one, you were paying almost as if it was just a regular conventional multifamily apartment. That's how uh, tight pricing has gotten. This has expanded cap rates out. Um, so you're getting paid a little bit more for the risk that you actually are taking, even in those big markets. Um, and so for me, looking at the marketplace right now, it's a great opportunity to get into, you know, tier one universities where you can actually get 150, 200 basis points of a discount to where you were six, eight months ago. And from, you know, for my dollars, I don't think um, those major tier one universities are going anywhere. In fact, I think they're going to grow, um, you know, significantly because I think they're going to grow of their own accord and then they're going to suck, suck up all the demand um, that was at a lot of these secondary and tertiary universities. That's excellent. Excellent. That's, uh, that's good news, obviously, for your business. Um, Ari, as we come to the close, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Anything that, uh, that's important in terms of what's going on, whether your view of what's going on on campus, uh, maybe away from the business, but just more anecdotally of what you're seeing uh, in terms of along the lines of what you were talking about? How valuable is the uh, college education? Are you better off just being an electrician or a plumber and you making maybe just as much money and having no debt? <laughs> that, those are your words, not mine, um, as it relates <laughs> to being a plumber or electrician. But no, I, I, I um, you know, one thing I didn't touch on, which I'll just uh, get in quickly, is um, this the, the technology aspect um, of student. And so, really briefly, we created at V this product that is called First Show, um, and we created it pre-pandemic. And what we were finding was a lot of um, Gen Z. Uh, 18 to 22s, they were touring our communities um, as a prospect to look at an apartment to rent alongside one of our leasing and marketing managers. But the feedback we were getting quite often is, you know, I'd rather be able to do this just by myself and take a look at the apartment by myself pre-COVID, right? So we developed this app. It's called For Show. Um, it uses beacons and GPS technology to basically allow you to do a self-guided tour um, on your phone. And so we, we put that out into the marketplace. Uh, we're using it on all of our communities and then COVID hits and usage goes up, you know, 15,000% um, overnight. And basically that is the only way you can tour any of our communities now is a self-guided tour um, using the Force Show app. So PropTech, which I know Alex knows a lot about, um, is coming. It's a, you know, the real estate industry is a slow one to adopt any technology. 
we're, we're dinosaurs still compared to pretty much every other industry, but where I do see um, the cutting edge uh, from, from a real estate industry perspective, at least, is in the student housing business because we have those younger customers, those younger residents who are used to interacting with the world really through their phones and through technology. Yeah, I think, I think the um, real estate industry is just above mining in terms of adoption technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, well, um, thank you, Ari, for, for such an insightful uh, session you know, in, in, in our episode of On and Offline Campus Living. I think as we move forward uh, into the unknown, uh, both uh, university deans and administrators, as well as parents, will take uh, gets a lot of value out of what you've, what you've shared with us today and um, inform them on making decisions about how they, um, how they plan and, and uh, how they uh, understand the landscape moving forward. So I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Yes, uh, thank Jamie, you very much, Ari. Yeah, and Jamie, you know, I think um, you know, one of the things that you know, it, it makes me think about is back when we were, <laughs> when we were in universities and how things have changed, uh, you know, where, where we wanted to get out of school, out of the house, get into school, but, but, the, but the living experience was very generic, very basic. And uh, now today, things are just getting so interesting um, through technology, amenities are changing. So, so it's really kind of a good time to be a kid these days. I got to tell you, I think back to when I was living on campus and I was in a three bedroom apartment on the international wing because I was going to school in the States coming from Canada. And it was somebody from my, uh, Iran, somebody from China and myself in rooms that you had to step outside to change your mind. And we shared a kitchen that basically could make tater tots and a small TV. Now, when I look at Ari's properties, I'm thinking, you know, I got screwed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You want to be in Ari's properties, uh, you know, as a kid. So this is uh, this is pretty. This is, this is eye opening for me. I think once again, you know, world's changing. Um, pandemics here. It, it, once we get it behind us, and the wind is in is on our backs, uh, we'll be we'll be off to hopefully a brighter days and, and, and a brighter on campus uh, living experience. So thank you, Ari. Um, it's awesome. Uh, thank you for being on the real estate. Uh, we share experiences and stories about what it's like experience in this case um, campus living online and all Nari you're, you're, you've been a terrific guest you're welcome to come back anytime if you want to uh, provide further stories or an update on what's going on thank you guys listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.